Well, uh, we've made it, right? Uh, Today, we come to the last sermon in the book of Revelation. It's taken us about a year to make our way through with a few Sundays thrown in for special occasions. I look back at the the calendar and uh, on my calendar, and we began in August of last year. So uh, this has been a great challenge for me. I kid you not, this has been a, a great challenge for me, but we know with all challenges there come blessings, right? And that has been the case for me. Some days I wasn't so sure when I was trying to figure out what was going on, but always God gave blessing. And, and hopefully uh, you have in some way been encouraged as well. Uh, I hope and pray that God would show us grace and continue to work the truths of this book into our lives as we finish it today in order that we would be what the book of Revelation exhorts us to be. Those who overcome to the end. Those who believe that Jesus wins, and because Jesus wins, we win. Uh, The last words of Revelation, as we saw last week, uh, they actually began in verse 6 of chapter 22. And today we look at the last of the last verses. Verses 10 through 21. Uh, I know you've heard this before. Last words are important, right? Um, Final words uh, are intended to have lasting meaning. Final words are words that hopefully they they stay with us. Uh, There have been many famous people that have lived throughout the history of the world. uh, And some of those famous people have had some strange last words. And so I'm just going to kind of give you some this morning. Several. John Barrymore was an American actor. He was actually the paternal grandfather of the actress Drew Barrymore. Uh, John was a, a heavy smoker and a drinker. And here's his last words Die. I should say not, dear fellow. No Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing to happen to him. I'm sure that if he could come back, he'd say, My mind has been changed about that. Winston Churchill. Uh, a lot of us in the room are familiar with Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Great Britain during the World War II. His final words as he uh, slipped into a coma were, I'm bored with it all. And he slipped into a coma and died nine days later. Uh, Dominique Bowers, a legendary French grammarian, said, I'm about to, or I'm going to die. Either expression is correct. A grammarian nerd to the end, right? Todd Beamer. His last words were overheard on an open phone line just before attempting to regain control of hijacked flight 93 on 9-11. His last words were, anybody remember? Let's roll. Pancho Villa, the American revolutionary, said at the moment before he let out his last breath, it can't end like this. Tell them I said something. Stonewall Jackson, uh, Civil War general, after being wounded and just before dying, said, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. Uh, Joseph Addison, uh, an English writer, a faithful follower of Christ, a very faithful witness to the very end of his life, said, see in what peace a Christian can die. John Wayne, most of us in here, most of us men kind of perk up when we hear John Wayne, right? Rough, tough, right? Cowboy, 
Loved to watch his movies. Died at the age of 72. He looked at his wife and said, Of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. That probably wouldn't be the last words most of us would think that John Wayne would speak, right? Basketball great Pistol Pete Maravich, who, by the way, if I've understood correctly, in the latter years of his life became a Christian, a faithful one. He collapsed during a pickup basketball game. His last words were, I feel great. Last words of the Bible are intended to help Christians live and die well. These words remind us, the end of Revelation, these words remind us to remain faithful, to continue to trust Jesus until the very end. Uh, These words here, these final words in Revelation exhort us not to give in to the world. Not to let the world pull us away from Jesus. With that in mind, you're looking at your handout. Here's the main idea. Jesus is coming. Stay faithful and reject all that would lead you away from Him. Jesus is coming. Stay faithful and reject all that would lead you away from Him. So, verses 10 through 15, we've got two points here with how we've outlined this. Verses 10 through 15 says, Jesus is the coming judge and Savior. That's the two things that we'll see here primarily. He says there, And He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Very interesting words, right? He tells John, don't seal these words up. And, we, and that should cause us to think. Why would he tell John not to seal those up? There's several reasons he would tell them. But John is told how to handle the message of Revelation. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 10 and verse 11 uh, point us, or they should point us back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. We shouldn't be surprised. We've already seen the close relationship as we went through the book of Revelation to Daniel and many other Old Testament prophets. But Daniel, uh, for sure. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Daniel has seen a vision of the future. And he's having a hard time understanding. If you've read Daniel, you go, I'm with Daniel. I have a hard time understanding some of what Daniel saw as well. He's having a hard time understanding, so he has a question for the angel who's speaking to him. And here's what Daniel says. I'll start at verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Do you see the contrast between Daniel's vision and John's vision? Shut it up, Daniel. What does he tell John? Don't shut up the words of this prophecy. Daniel's told, shut up and sealed to the end, to the, until the time of the end. The idea is that for Daniel and his generation, the vision would not be fully understood, nor would it be fulfilled. The time of fulfillment was still distant, still far off at the, at the time Daniel wrote down this vision. 
John is told the exact opposite. He's, he's not to seal up the prophetic words of the revelation. That's always interested me. Daniel, you see this. I don't understand, Lord. He says, just seal up the words. The time is near. And then we get to the end of the book, uh, end of the Bible, Revelation. John is seeing a vision and God tells him, don't seal up these words. And the reason is given in verse 10. What is it? For, because the time is near. In other words, for the church, for Christians who live between Jesus' first coming and His second coming, a period we see uh, referred to in the Bible as the last days, or in Daniel's words, the end time, the, the time of fulfillment is near, and the age of understanding is come, John. Don't seal these words up. Remember what he told Daniel? Don't seal them up, Daniel. But now, John, the time is near. Don't seal them up. Because of Revelation, especially chapter 5, if you remember back to chapter 5, where Jesus took the scroll of God's end time plan. Remember, the angel spoke. There was no one worthy to open the scroll which contained God's plan. The book of Revelation. And what did John do? He began to weep because there was no one found worthy to open it. But guess what happens? Oh, there is one who's worthy. And it's the, the line of the tribe of Judah. The Lamb of God. He is worthy to open the scroll. And there we saw Jesus take God's scroll, His end time plan, and He opened its seals to reveal it and begin executing that plan. And because of that, we now understand much more than Daniel did, Right? John is seeing everything that Daniel... Daniel just couldn't put it all together. He didn't understand it. What did God tell him? It's okay, Daniel. You seal it up. But God knew the plan, right? There's coming a time when John will see all this and it will not be sealed. It will be open because the time is near. Jesus came. The last days, and we've talked about this, the last days that Bible refers to are the days between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So that means you and I are living what? In the last days. It's just a matter of, is it the last of the last days that we are living in? Verse 11. When you read this, it's kind of like, that's kind of strange. Why, why would this be said? Verse 11 says, Let the evildoers still do evil. Remember Daniel? Remember him? that reference there? The wicked will do what? Wickedness and the wise will do what is right. We hear these same words here. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. He's given John this vision. Don't seal it up. Reveal it to my church. Reveal it to my people. Verse 11, the evildoer keep doing evil. The filthy keep being filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Again, Daniel as I just said, He helps us. He says in verse 11, going back to Daniel 12, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Those two groups there, purified and wicked. Do you see those? Daniel refers to those. And then John here in Revelation refers to those. He says, evildoers and righteous. The meaning of the commands in verse 11, let what Daniel prophesied come about. Remember, he, he prophesied that. Daniel prophesied that. Let the wicked do wicked. Let the, the righteous do righteous. And what is John seeing? What is he being told? 
That's right, John. That continues. The wicked continue to be wicked, and the righteous continue to be righteous and holy. Let what Daniel prophesied come about. Let it be as it was prophesied to be. Now, you read that command in verse 11, and you're kind of like, does that not kind of strike you? That the angel, this messenger from Jesus, is telling John, let the wicked just keep doing wicked. But the righteous and the holy keep being righteous and holy. That kind of struck me as strange. Let them keep doing those things. The command there in verse 11 to do further evil, that's what we need to understand. The command there to keep doing further evil is a punishment for idolatry. See, you and I don't understand that a lot of times. When people continue on in sin, they keep doing wicked and evil. You know what that is? That's God's punishment against them for their idolatry. He lets them destroy themselves with their evil. Let them keep on. Let them keep doing that. People have have turned from the one true God to worship idols, and God's command for them to continue in their sin is, is God's punishment. The wicked are being... Confirmed. That's what's being. Ha- that's what's happening. They're being confirmed in their spiritual blindness, so they receive God's judgment. But for those who, by grace, are holy and righteous, it says here, the command is to persist in that holiness and righteousness. Don't miss that. Do you see? Jesus is coming. Stay faithful. Don't let the world pull you away. We're we're so prone to look at the world and its wickedness, right? And we get caught up in that, and we think, oh. But God says, that's going to happen. That's going to continue. But you, don't you be pulled away into that. You continue to be holy. You continue to be righteous because Jesus is coming. You stay faithful. The application is simple there. Jesus is coming. Do what, church? Stay faithful. And that's hard for us as redeemed sinners because we still have sin within us. Jesus is coming. So what do you do, Christian? You stay faithful. Is that, that's pretty simple, right? Jesus is coming. So what do we do, church? We what? We stay faithful. What's that look like? We live holy and righteous lives. We reach our community with the gospel. We proclaim the gospel to our ones. We tell people about Jesus. Jesus is coming. Stay faithful to the mission. Jesus commands the Christian here to be godly. The world is going to continue headlong into sin, but you Christian, you continue to pursue righteousness and holiness. You're like me sometimes. You look at somebody who's this. They're lost. And it seems like everything they touch, what? Turns to gold, right? And you're kind of like, what's up with that, Lord? You do it, right? Yeah. Look, I'm faithful, God. Look at them. That's not what you're to do. You're to pursue faithfulness. Jesus is coming. You know when you have that thought next time? Here's what you say. Jesus is coming. I need to stay faithful. Jesus commands the Christian here to be godly. But you, Christian, you continue to pursue righteousness and holiness. Don't make a profession of faith and then live like the world. Don't do that. Stay faithful. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen to me carefully. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this certainly doesn't mean that you shouldn't repent of your sin. 
Because we saw John in chapter 9 and chapter 16 call for the sinner to do what? Repent. This doesn't mean, oh, God's okay with my sin and I keep going. Did you hear what I said? Your continuance in sin is God's punishment against you. In the book of Revelation, there's an account of being called to repentance. I read this and I think the shock of this statement is, is meant to prompt repentance. The wicked will continue in wickedness. They're going to destroy their lives. That's my punishment for them. But God says at the same time, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and you are forgiven. Jesus here is calling you unbeliever to repent and trust Him for forgiveness. Verses 12 and 13 give the reason for the command of verse 11. Behold, I'm coming soon. <coughs> Excuse me. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Man, those are some startling words, right? I'm coming. I'm bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay each one for what he's done. Jesus is coming quickly to repay people for how they have lived in opposition to Him. How they pursued idolatry. How they have not pursued God with their lives. How they've not turned to Christ. Jesus is coming. Behold, I am coming soon. And He's coming as judge. He's going to bring His reward. He's going to bring His payment. Verse 11, let the wicked keep doing that. That's their punishment. But I am coming one day, and my reward for that will come with me. See, Jesus emphasizes the need to be ready at all times. I am coming soon. And we talked about that last week, right? You and I are like, well, it's been a long time, but God's timetable is different than ours, right? The importance of our actions in this life, again, is underscored because the end is near. This once again functions as a promise and a warning. The announcement provokes believers to be prepared for Jesus to come. Jesus' promise to come promises joy and happiness for the believer, right? If you're a believer, you ought to be shaking your head. Yeah, that's a promise of, of joy and happiness for me. But for the unbeliever, what does he say? I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. For the unbeliever, Jesus' return means payday is coming. Payday someday. Payday is coming. And by the way, that idea is found found throughout the book of the, uh, uh, the Bible. Not just here in Revelation. The prophets... Uh, proclaim this over and over again. Isaiah in chapter 40 verse 10. Listen to what Isaiah says. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. See, we can, we can read the Old Testament prophets and we can hear them say things like this. Do you know where we immediately run to find out if that really happens? The book of Revelation. Jesus spoke in His parables. In particular, Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. There Jesus compares Himself to, excuse me, a master who went away and returned to settle accounts. Remember that parable? He gave these guys the talents. He says, I'm going on a journey and I'm going to come back and and I'm coming. 
I will return. I'm coming to see what you've done. Those who have trusted in Jesus and served Him will be rewarded. For those who rebel against Jesus and do evil, Jesus says they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Are there three ways there? No, there's two, right? They will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is coming as judge and Savior. Verse 13 lets us know that Jesus can be counted on to do, He can be counted on to do this because He is what? The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We've seen these before in the book of Revelation. They describe Jesus and His sovereignty over all of history. That's what those titles are referring to. From first to last, from beginning to end, Alpha to Omega, A to Z, Jesus rules over all of history. And that means when He says He's going to return as judge of the living and the dead, He will do it. And on that day, the great divide between humanity will be made plain. Jesus is declaring with these titles here that He has the right and power to reward and to punish. You've heard me say this before. This is Jesus' world, right? He makes the rules. He makes the guidelines. By the way, all those rules and guidelines are for our good. But what do we do? We rebel against those rules and guidelines. And there's always a consequence for that. He's declaring He has the right and the power to reward and punish. The promise of a reward and recompense, are they're not idle promises. Why? Because the one who rules over all of history from beginning to end, He makes the promise. Do you get that? The Creator, the ruler of all of history, He makes the promise. He will most certainly make good on His Word. He's coming soon. And He's going to reward His people, but there's going to be payment for those who've turned away from Him. Verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes. We've seen before this same language. It's figurative language. It's referring to the cleansing of sin that comes through faith in Jesus and His blood shed on the cross. That's what that's talking about. Those who trust in Jesus, what does it say? They are what? Blessed are those who... Wash their robes, who turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Those who trust in Jesus are blessed, notice there, so that, here's the blessing, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. There's your blessing. You have the right to the tree of life and you'll enter the city by the gates. We, we saw this earlier. The tree of life and inner city are two different images for describing eternal life with God. Remember it's talking about what those represented? It's representing eternal life with God. Those who trust in Christ, those who have those robes washed in the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, they have the right to eternal life with God. Only those who trust in Jesus have their sin washed away and forgiven. Only they inherit eternal life. And what is Jesus saying here as the ruler of the world? I am coming one day. And my reward is coming with me. Look again at verse 14. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes. This, this is in the present tense. They are blessed who wash their sins. Who wash their... That's in the present tense. In other words, it's the ongoing daily cleansing that comes through confession of sin and continuing in faith in the Lord Jesus. See, here's what you and I need to understand. The same thing you did the day you were forgiven of your sin, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus, you continue to do that the rest of your Christian life. That's what the New Testament teaches us. The Christian life is an ongoing... Listen, we don't get saved again. Everybody look here and listen. You don't get saved again. You get saved one time. But your Christian life is a continuous life of repenting of your sin and continue to trust Jesus. And let me ask you something. How many of you have had to repent of sin lately? Don't raise your hand. If you said no, then you, you just need to repent because you lied. <laughs> The Christian life is a continuous life of repenting and trusting in Jesus. In other words, if you're not living a life of that, you're probably not a believer. It's the ongoing daily cleansing that comes through confession of sin and continued faith in Christ. The Christian life is one of ongoing repentance and continuing to trust Jesus. But what about the evildoer that he talked about in verse 11? How will Christ repay them for their deeds? Verse 15 tells us. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Excuse me. We saw this before in Revelation 21, verses 6 and 7. We saw that some drink from the water of life and they become heirs. But in verse 8, we saw that others pursue evil and are punished in the lake of fire. See, this doesn't show up just one time. It's over and over again in the New Testament, particularly the book of Revelation. Uh, Look there. You see that term, dogs? That refers to those who have unwashed robes. Verse 14. That's that's, That's what that's referring to. They are those who are unclean in the sight of God. See, in in, um, uh, biblical times, that's the only way I know how to put it, a dog, they didn't refer to dogs like you and I do. A dog was an unclean, disrespectful, repugnant animal. They didn't care nothing about it. So when it refers to a person as a dog, they, they are unclean in God's sight. Then you see that word sorcerers there. We also saw that back in uh, chapter 21, verse 8. refers to those who trust. um, In in this particular setting, it refers to those who trust in magic instead of trusting God. Maybe modern day would be new age and mysticism. The sexually immoral are those who give themselves... To sexual sin, they, they don't trust their bodies to God but seek out pleasure according to their own desires. Sex is to be between what? A man and a woman in marriage. Listen, there are no other options in the Bible. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. Murderers are those who ruin another person made in God's image. 
idolaters or those who despise and refuse to serve God. Those who love and practice lying. This could refer, listen, this could refer to those who claim to be Christians but deny their profession of faith by the way they live their lives. As well as those who deceive others into joining their wickedness. For those who do wrong and are filthy, the life to come will be life apart from God's people and His presence. And for those who are righteous and holy and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, eternal life with God in paradise. Eternal life. New heavens, new earth for all eternity. See, Christian, here's the way we need to be thinking about this. You and I are told here that the time is what? Near. Jesus is coming soon. And that refers to the last days, which are what? The time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. So according to Jesus, everything in between those two is open to Him coming. You and I are told that the time is near. With whom do you need to be sharing the gospel? Their acceptance or rejection of Jesus in this life will determine their eternal destiny. The time is near. There's nothing that has to happen in order for Jesus to come back. He can come back. Some here today may think that all that's necessary to go to heaven is to attend church, work hard, or just be a good person. If that is you, you need to look at verse 14 again. Blessed are those who wash their robes. There is no other way. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. What is it Jesus says? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? Through me. Let's look at verses 16 through 21. Jesus testifies to the contents of Revelation. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. This is Jesus. He's now addressing the churches. The importance of what is written is stressed and that Jesus sent an angel. And we saw that back in chapter 1. To testify about these matters to the church. Who's the book of Revelation written to? The church. These are urgent words from the risen Jesus for all His churches. These are words of comfort for us, but they're also words of warning. Notice there that Jesus identifies Himself one last time in verse 16. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. In order to help us better understand those, we, we have to go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, and Numbers chapter 24. If you, look, if you were to look back, don't look back, but if you were to look back at those passages, the point of each of those is to say that Jesus will be the ruler of the entire world. He will conquer the wicked. He will deliver the oppressed. And this king will defeat all his enemies. So to continue to disbelieve what Jesus reveals in Revelation, continue to oppose Him, doing so is foolish. Because Jesus is coming. 
And He's bringing His reward with Him. But there's a very different response from Jesus' people. The key word of uh, verse 17 is the word come. You notice it's there how many times? Repetitive, right? The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Come come as a prayer addressed to Jesus who's promised to do what? Come soon. That is, Jesus' true people, aided by His Spirit, will do what? They will pray for Jesus to come. You see that connection? Jesus said, I'm coming soon. What does His people do? Come, Jesus. Come. We've read chapters 21 and 22. The Christian knows that Jesus' return is not... It's not a cause of trouble for us, right? It's a blessing for us. We will dwell with Jesus for all eternity in a curse-free new heavens and new earth. Jesus' return will be wonderful for us. At least I hope, if you're professing to know Jesus, you think in that way. It will be wonderful for us. So I'm reading this and I'm going, Jesus says I'm coming soon, and the church responds, what? Come, Jesus. So what should we be doing, church? Application, what should we be praying for? Come, Jesus. Now here's the question. Do you desire that Jesus would come? Oh, preacher, I... Ooh. I got a career I'm working on. And I I got children who... I want them to get married and have me some grandbabies. Oh, I want Jesus to come, but not right now, right? I got things I want to do, Jesus. I believe you're coming, and it's going to be good, but not right now. The only reason you might should pray for the delay of Jesus to come is because of what? There are lost people out there who need to hear the gospel. Come, Lord Jesus, come, but save. Save the lost before you come. Looking at verse 17, there's an invitation. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And Isaiah goes on to say they can buy and eat without money and without price. Here in verse 17 also, the one who desires to come can what? Take the water of life. How? Without price. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs somebody something, but it will cost you nothing. To become a Christian is to give one's life to Jesus. To crown Him as Lord of your life. To those who do that, life is offered freely and openly. Did you hear that? To those who call on Jesus, who trust Him as Savior and Lord over their life, they're offered this freely and openly. Those who come to faith in Jesus... If you come to Christ, you'll find your deepest longings satisfied. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're going to get a fancy car and a big house. It doesn't mean that. But the deepest longings of your soul for peace to know 
that you will have eternal life, Jesus will satisfy those. You'll have the thirst and the ache of your heart filled by Jesus. And listen, this, again, this is not the prosperity gospel. Listen, you can have all that stuff and be lost, and when Jesus comes, what have you done? Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophets of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. That's pretty clear, right? Jesus firmly warns everyone against adding to what is written in the book of Revelation. Those who hear the prophecy of this book must not add. Adding to the book changes the content of the prophecy and it alters the message. To do so is to distort the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 says, You shall not add to the Word that I command you. Deuteronomy 12.32 says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. How serious do you think Jesus is about this? In case you missed it, it's of eternal significance. Those who tamper with revelation, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. Clearly, this is no small matter. Those who do so will suffer eternal punishment. People who distort the Word of God, who deny the the biblical gospel, God says He will do what? They're lost. He'll put on them the plagues that are described in this book. Not only is adding wrong, but look at verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophets of this book, God will take away His share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Certain portions of the Bible and certain themes may be dismissed because they are offensive or unpleasant to people. But Jesus says... That's my word. You have no right to add to or take away from my word. Those who subtract from the message will be removed from the tree of life in the holy city. Do you remember the, I know it's been a ways back, the seven letters to the churches? you remember when we went through those? There we saw a group called the Nicolaitans. Remember them? And a person or persons who was compared to the wicked woman Jezebel. You remember that? In, both of, in those instances, they were talking about false teachers. Common to these false teachers was their claim, listen, if you go back and read that, you can go back and read that today to verify, verify what I'm saying. Common to these false teachers was their claim that Christians could compromise with the world and still follow Jesus. That's what was going on there. You remember that? I know it's been a ways back. You can be a Christian and you can still have your sin. Is that adding to or subtracting from the Word of God? What does Jesus say will happen to those when He comes? To follow such a false teacher is to add or take away from the book of Revelation. Which allows no compromise with sin. It doesn't say you won't sin... It says if you do sin, you do what? You confess your sins and Jesus is faithful and just of what? To forgive all your unrighteousness. Compromise with sin indicates being God's enemy rather than His child. (coughs) Now the end of verse 19, I'm going to be careful here, isn't teaching that true Christians can lose their salvation. 
It's teaching that those in the church who make false professions of faith, who claim to be Christians, and therefore claim the reward of heaven, their claim will be stripped away on the last day. No obedience to Christ, then no tree of life, no holiness of life, then no holy city. No new heaven, no new earth. Verse 20. We're coming in quickly here. He testifies. Excuse me. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Have we heard that before? The last words of Jesus. Don't miss this. I'm slow at times. But man, this, this kind of caught my attention. The last words of Jesus in the book, the last words in the Bible are what? Surely I am coming soon. Jesus says He's the one who has witnessed to and verified the message communicated here in the book of Revelation. The message at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, is reaffirmed at the end. History is short, and Jesus, listen, He's at the door. Jesus is saying the time is urgent. Jesus, one last time, says what? I'm coming soon. I keep saying that, right? When is Jesus coming, church? Soon. Then John, what does John do? He gives his what? Amen. And then he adds his own prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. I find myself asking, as I challenged you earlier, is this my prayer? Is this your prayer? If it's not, then you and I have misunderstood the book of Revelation. If we're not praying this prayer, we've misunderstood what God's giving us in His Word. And finally, John closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. It's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like you write a letter and at the end you say, love, whatever your name is, right? Most of the time, those don't really mean anything. It's just the way we've been taught to end a letter, right? Just throw that on the end, because if you don't, everybody will go, well, what's wrong? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us, be with all. Listen to me, that should be our prayer for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we pray this for one another? There's somebody sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, that's trusting in Christ. Do you ever pray for that person that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them? That's a simple prayer, right? We can flesh that out. God, Your grace be upon my brother and my sister that they'd walk faithfully. They would be believing that Jesus is coming soon. They'd stay holy and righteous and not be drawn away. How many of you want somebody praying that for you? If you ain't got nobody to pray it for, just put my name down and everybody here, you can pray that for me. Do we pray this for one another? Give, fill in the blank, grace for living faithfully and holy in this world. Help them cling to the promises of this book. Let's pray.